0: Hey, my name is Brady Smith. I am from the Great Pacific Northwest, and I'm a website designer. I love listening to Compelled because it is probably one of the most inspiring podcasts that I have ever found. I hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: The car was so mangled that they couldn't get close to him. The the car was basically horseshoe shaped. And the sheriff who showed up at the accident, he had declared Pete a fatality.
0: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a seasonal podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. Last week, we heard from Julian Weber, a regular father from suburban America who had everything the American dream could offer. A loving wife, four kids, a great job, and even leadership in his church. But when his identity was stripped away, he clung to the world for help and became addicted to painkillers, alcohol, and pornography. Only a savior could break the stranglehold on his life. Again, you can listen to that story by tuning into last week's episode with Julian Weber. This week, our guests are Doug and Selah Helms, a married couple from Fort Worth, Texas, whose world was turned upside down after a tragic car accident left their family reeling. They would face the greatest trial of their life, and their faith in the Lord would be tested. To the limit. That story coming up right after a word from our sponsors. I sat down with Doug and Selah Helms at their home in Fort Worth, Texas, just a few months ago. They were married in 1983 and have lived in Fort Worth ever since. They'll be celebrating their 38th wedding anniversary later this year, and Doug has served as a pastor for 22 of those years, and they have four adult children and several grandchildren. As a high schooler, I knew two of their sons through speech and debate and have kept up with their family off and on over the years. Much of our story today revolves around their youngest son, Peter, who was 18 years old when our story begins in the summer of
2: 2010. It was a Thursday morning, and he um, left our house. He was, was going to mow grass for one of the widow ladies in our church. And um, about... 45 minutes later, I left the house, and I came to this intersection that I always cross. It was kind of of a busy intersection out in in the country, and there was this horrible, horrible accident. And uh, the car, um, there was a truck and a car. The car had been demolished, and I prayed on the way, the rest of the way to church. I said, Lord, I don't know how anyone can survive a kind an accident like that. But whoever it is, I pray that you'd raise him up or her and and use them, save them. And I went on to church and um, was working and I got a call from Selah. You need to come to the hospital, John Peter Smith Hospital immediately. Peter's been in an accident. And at that point, I knew that was my car. Peter came to a stop and there was, on the other road that he was crossing, there was a, an 18-wheeler. This 18-wheeler needed to turn, and so he motioned for Pete to come on across the intersection. What Peter didn't see was a pickup truck right on the other side of that 18-wheeler and he was T-boned and uh, he hit his, uh, the right side of his head. The first responders were there very shortly and, um, and they looked at, at Peter and they said, uh, this one's not gonna make it.
1: The car was so mangled that they couldn't get close to him. The, the car was basically horseshoe shaped. And the sheriff who showed up at the accident said that he had declared Pete a fatality.
2: And so they went over, you know, they were headed for the, the woman who was in good condition. She she sustained minor injuries. So this electrician who was there and witnessed the accident, he ran to the accident and Sean was his name. He said, no, this this young man is still alive. He's breathing.
1: Peter was just a normal kid. He became a Christian when he was about six or seven, and he did definitely demonstrate a heart change during that time. But one of the kind of distinguishing things about Peter is that every year on his birthday, he began to pray this certain prayer on his birthday. And we didn't teach him to do it, and none of our other kids did it. But at the end of his birthday, when all the fun had died down and the friends had gone home and we were tucking our kids in for the night, Peter would always pray, Lord, thank you for these eight good years that you've given me. And if you're so good that I should live another year, please help me to glorify you. And he just prayed that way, you know, like if you're so good as to give me another year, I want to use it to glorify you.
2: When he was little, uh, and I would be reading to the family, we, we'd read the Bible and we'd read the Chronicles of Narnia and the Little House on the Prairie books and all that, and we wondered if Peter would be listening, would he, was he too young to take any interest in this? Well, he would be laying on the carpet with a pencil and pad mm. drawing. He uh, developed a real hand for art.
1: One time for a homeschool assignment? the kids were asked to draw a picture of their favorite toy, and Peter drew a pencil and an eraser. And, and he said something like in the caption to that assignment, he said, I know that some kids would find it funny that my favorite toy is a pencil and eraser, but it is what I most enjoy doing and um i hope that i glorify god with my drawings but i think another aspect of peter that was kind of evident early on is that he had a real insight into people yeah and so he had this kind of perceptive ability to understand where somebody was coming from and kind of who they were and yet to love them you know like he had a a uh, intuition about people but he looked on them as a package deal with love and compassion mm.
2: there was a uh, um, an older couple that joined our church um, when Peter was just just about seven or eight or nine and the woman became our pianist and her husband was there and and uh, he joined after she did and Pete would see him sitting by himself during the service because his wife was the pianist and Pete took it upon himself to go sit with, with this older gentleman. Yeah. Pete made friends, um, with, with older folks. Pete made friends with the younger kids in the church, children younger than he was. Um, he just, he just loved people. He, he, he was a little bit shy but it didn't keep him from showing concern about other people. I can remember just a few months before the accident, Peter came and said, dad, uh, would it be all right if some of the guys and I got together before the fellowship meal on Wednesday nights and did some sort of study together? And a few weeks afterwards, I, I asked him how it was going. And he said, well, I think it's going okay, but it seems like a lot of the discussion falls to me. And so at that point, we thought, okay, you're going to be a pastor. He had a pastoral heart. He had kind of a shepherd's heart, even as as a young man.
1: He was three weeks away from his 18th birthday. We had begun packing him up to go to college at Union University, which is where our older two sons had gone. So he spent his 18th birthday in ICU. Standing there at his bedside when we showed up that day of his accident, he had a gash in his face and you could see his teeth through his cheek. I don't think we had any clue at all what the future held.
2: We didn't know whether he was going to live. Right. We were, we were thinking he might not make it.
1: A doctor pulled us into a conference room as a family, and I, I'm going to mangle these statistics, but it was something along these lines. He said that with a brain injury as severe as Peter's, 50% die in the first week. Wow. Just from the brain injury. Wow and that uh, if they happen to be still alive at the end of three or four weeks, another 50% will die by infection.
2: And so we were in the, the best trauma unit in, in Fort Worth at John Peter Smith. But unfortunately, the window that looked out beside, beside his room out in the hallway, looked down on a graveyard. And I would just pray, Lord, please, please, please let him live.
0: The Helms weren't the only ones praying. They were joined by countless others as their community and church family began praying that this young man would survive.
1: The evening of Peter's accident, the word had gone out so much that there were over 300 people in the waiting room in the hospital just showing up to pray for pete literally all over our community but we had friends who would go into a restaurant just out in the community and hear random people at the next table talking about peter wow yeah and so um all over fort worth and crowley people began to pray for him and one of the most remarkable stories what came through our daughter who was a student at Southwestern Seminary here in Fort Worth and one of her classmates was a native hawaiian and he went back to his hometown close to honolulu for the summer and he went out to this tiny little church in the sticks in hawaii and he showed up and he said hey, tonight I want to ask this church to pray for my friend Beth's brother who just had this car accident. And this little church out in the sticks in Hawaii said, oh, Peter Helms, we're already praying for him. We heard from people in almost all 50 states and 30 or 40 countries, hey, I'm praying for Peter here in Baghdad or our little group in France is praying for Peter, you know. And that was just such a comfort to us that regardless of the fact that Peter had sustained this tragic accident, that God was communicating to us, hey, I've got this, you know, like I'm putting Peter on my people's hearts to pray for him. So don't worry about what's coming because I'm in this.
0: God's presence was very real for Doug and Selah during this time. Even though Peter had been in a coma since the moment of the wreck, they were comforted by the fact that so many believers from around the world were praying for Peter's safety and recovery. And soon, they hoped to see signs of Peter's progress. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of the Apple Podcasts top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. The world tells young women to seek popularity, beauty, pleasure, or whatever will make them happy. Yet the more they chase after those worldly dreams, the emptier they become. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a special conference designed for mothers and daughters to encourage them that there is just one thing worth seeking after, Jesus Christ. The conference is called Seeking Christ and takes place at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, September 20 and 21st. The conference is taught by Sarah Malley Hancock, the founder of Bright Lights Ministry and include skits, real-life examples, studies for moms and daughters to do together, and bonus sessions by Ken Ham and Martin Isles from Answers in Genesis. Plus, you'll get to walk through the full-scale replica of Noah's Ark there at the Ark Encounter, which I've actually done and is incredible. Young women will be challenged to seek the Lord first in their lives, deepen their love for God's Word, be rooted in their identity in Christ, gain vision for close family relationships and shine their light brightly for the Lord. The primary focus is for young women ages 10 to 18 and their mothers, but of course, women of all ages are welcome to come. Learn more at brightlightsministry.com. Again, that's brightlightsministry.com.
2: Peter was in the hospital about three weeks. He could look around, his eyes were open, but he couldn't speak. And so we had a consultation with a, a brain specialist, and I asked, when will Peter come out of his coma? And he said, what makes you think he hasn't?
1: What we found was that there's such a thing as minimally conscious. It's, it's more conscious than being in a coma but it's not talking or fully aware like we are here in this room. Yeah. And that's what they diagnosed Peter as, is minimally conscious.
2: There had been a brain scan and the doctor showed me, he said, he's basically got the brain of a a 95-year-old man.
1: I I remember thinking, Lord, I don't know what to pray. You know, because if Pete is faced with a a long life of being half in a coma do we want to pray that he lives Mm. lord i don't know i don't know what to ask you would you just choose Mm. you just choose Mm. whether pete lives or dies because i don't have any idea found out later that doug was praying the same prayer even though we were not together at the time
2: the um, the healthcare providers, doctors, nurses tried to uh, therapists tried to give us some hope, while at the same time not not leading us on. Hmm. So I really do appreciate the way that they handled this entire situation.
1: Nobody offered any false hope, like your son is going to walk. In, you know, there were no faith healers there. They offered hope by saying we don't know what his journey is going to be like. You know, every journey is different. Some people in Pete's condition wake up and do great, and some don't. We don't know, but just keep on loving him and keep on taking care of him, you know, which I think is the right attitude. You know, not a false hope, but not just dismal either. Nobody said, let's turn the ventilator off of Pete. Yeah. And I'm glad that we didn't have to face that suggestion yeah you know i mean we had already put it in the lord's hands of whether he lived or died Mm. but nobody forced us or even mildly suggested a a suggestion like that in fact doctors said people like him wake up and we don't want to do anything premature i think this was part of the difference there's such a thing as being brain dead peter was never brain dead You know, there was always some activity going on in his brain. That's what the scans showed. Mm. And so if there's activity, there can be
0: healing. There's an assessment tool for brain injured patients used by the medical community called the Rancho Scale that ranges from one to eight. You and I would rank as an eight, whereas someone in a coma would rank as a one. Peter was a three meaning that he had responses to pain and with some consistency could react to sounds and follow faces with his eyes, sometimes. But even though Peter couldn't talk or communicate, he was being used by God in unexpected ways. Peter has a an air of patience
1: and a, a quiet spirit, even different than a lot of brain injury patients. A lot of brain injury patients, their predominant. Emotion is anger. really. And when the nurses come in and are around Pete, they say things like, he's so patient. You know, he, he even when we accidentally do something wrong, Peter just seems to kind of roll with it. And some of them have ended up asking for Bibles. We have heard from some of them who, you know, were deeply impacted by Pete, carried the Bible along with them and things like that.
2: We had opportunities to witness in the hospital. One of the nurses came in, and he he said he was a believer, but for some reason he hadn't been in church for years. Some kind of disillusionment. After he was able to stay with Peter and I and Sila, he said, "I have a new, a new understanding of the grace of God, and yeah. I need to I need to be back in church."
1: Well, and he said words along the line of. I have felt like a lost sheep for many, many years. And these weeks here with Peter and with y'all have made me see that God is finding me again.
0: Finally, in October 2010, after three months in the hospital, many surgeries and a two-week intensive training course for the entire family about how to care for Peter's needs, Peter came home. And while his family was thrilled to have him home, His ongoing needs were very real and significant. Only the grace of God and the love of his people would carry the Helms through the journey ahead.
1: We converted our living room into a hospital bedroom with a hospital bed and Peter's suction machine and breathing machine and, you know, he could not do anything for himself he 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 couldn't move he couldn't eat he had a feeding tube he had to be fed through the tube four times a day um he had to be changed you had to get up with him two or three or four times in the night and turn him you know it was a very time and labor intensive prospect Mm. i mean i was depressed you know like we're speech and debate parents so we're all about producing kids that were movers and shakers neither one of us are naturally outfitted at caregiving you know like that's not something that god just put in us naturally and there were many times when i thought First of all, emotionally, I couldn't do this. Like my big, strong, strapping son who had so much hope and promise to be reduced to a semi-comatose life where he couldn't do the most basic thing for himself.
2: There was this problem, and that was, is Peter gonna be like this long-term? And so whenever I would uh, be gone, At church or you know making calls or whatever I I would think well when I come home I wonder what kind of news I'll hear will I hear that Peter talked Um, uh, will there be some kind of promising sign and so there was a disappointment every day because Mm -hmm. because I'd get my hopes up and then only to be disappointed when I got home and there were people well-meaning Christian people who wanted to give us hope And so they would say, I'm just sure that God's gonna raise Peter up. Or I'm just sure that Peter communes with God on a whole different level from us. Well, that didn't give me any hope because I had no guarantee that those things were true. That was just speculation. And then we stumbled across this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may obey all the words of this law. And I thought, ah, oh, there's our answer. The secret things belong to God. Peter's future, what, it, what he's going to do tomorrow, whether he ever comes out of this, is under the heading, Secret Things of God, and that's none of my business. But the things that are revealed are very plain. I'm supposed to be a good father to Peter. We're supposed to be good caregivers to Peter. We're supposed to maintain our own relationship. We're supposed to continue to minister to the body of Christ as best as we can. Those things are clearly revealed. There are things that we have to do, even though there are things that we don't know. And, and that principle was solid rock under our feet.
1: From the very beginning, like Doug was saying, God provided people to come in and help. You know, there were people who said, I'll learn how to stay the night with Pete. Or we're, this will be kind of telling. For three years, Paul, I did not cook a single meal for 3 years people brought us meals. Wow. Yes. And and we didn't nobody was even really planning that. There wasn't this giant meal train. People just said, "Hey, I wanted you to have supper tonight" because it was so intensive to try to learn how to take care of Pete. There there wasn't much margin for anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was one t- one of the many ways God carried us.
2: There was such an outpouring of help and my mom and dad lived in weatherford at the time 30 miles away they sold their home in weatherford and moved to our little neighborhood so that they could help take care of peter hmm. uh, so there was that kind of an attachment to peter and commitment to helping his brother andrew was uh was able to take a year off of his um um, doctoral program and just stay with Peter for a whole year. Peter, he was Peter's main, one of the main caregivers. We had a nephew, uh, Daniel, who was able to, uh, we had a Christian businessman in the community who, um, who offered to pay Daniel full-time wage for taking care of Peter for a year. We feel certain that if we had not brought him home, Pete might have just died.
1: Because so many do.
2: With the love and affection and care that we are able to give him and other people came alongside of us to help out in that, Peter realized at some point that he was still alive Hmm. and that he was still a part of a family. Summer is here, and so is the chance
0: to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12 month money back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year, and if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year, you can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England, who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliott, whose husband was murdered by the Aca tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War, smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. The helms were the recipients of multiple blessings and miracles over the years. Just two examples include when God miraculously provided a wheelchair van for Peter and the necessary funds for the helms to move into another house that was better suited for Peter's caregiving needs. For Doug and Selah, the spiritual growth that they've seen in their own lives and others as a result of Peter's journey has been profound. There was an especially poignant moment for Doug when he resumed preaching shortly after Peter came home.
2: I came back, and I was preaching through the book of Exodus. And uh, we came to the part where um, Moses is arguing with God. He doesn't want to be the deliverer. And he says, I can't speak. I can't speak well. I'm not articulate. And God's response to him was who made man's mouth? Who made man uh, blind or deaf or dumb? Yeah. And I pointed out to our people there at Rock Creek, I said, God doesn't just take responsibility for our abilities, but he takes responsibility for our disabilities. And, uh, All of these years preaching, I've been able to say, um, God is sovereign and he doesn't always do things that we think that he should do, but you can always trust him. And now I'm entering the pulpit and Sila and I are saying these same things, but with an air of authority that we never had. Romans 8, 28 has been huge. Um, Paul says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we pray that Peter understands that God loves him and that God has a purpose for him. We say that to him all the time and we believe that for ourselves. My prayer for him all the time is that the Lord would help him to understand how much he loves him. Paul prayed for the the Ephesians that they might know the height and depth and width and breadth of, of his love in Christ. So that's our prayer that Peter would know that, that Peter would know that God has a purpose for him.
1: You know, I'm a mom of adult children now, and I speak with other moms of adult children, and I realized I had a tendency when they were asking about my children to say, yeah, my oldest son teaches at a university, my second son's an accountant, my daughter's a pastor's wife, blah, blah, blah. And then I could never bring myself to speak about Peter, like there were times that I just didn't mention Peter. And I thought, whoa, that is wrong. That is wrong. What What is wrong with that, Selah? I knew it was wrong for me to just not even mention my son Peter, but it was so painful and so vulnerable to share what we were going on with Pete that sometimes I just didn't mention him when I was meeting another woman my age. And I spoke with Doug about it. And he just said, but Selah, Peter has one of the most significant jobs of all. Like there are people in this world that God has called to suffer and to suffer well. And we started talking about people who who God has called that way, like Johnny Erickson Tata and others. And so now when I meet new friends or other moms of adult children, I say, yeah, and our youngest son has been given the task of suffering Mm. because he he's just as important and his job is just as important as anybody else's
0: yeah that is profound now all
2: all (laughs) christians have a calling yeah and his is to suffer
0: it's now been 11 years since peter's accident peter is still a three on the rancho scale but physically he's much more improved and no longer needs a ventilator His family has found a rhythm in life, and one of their greatest joys is spending time with their son.
2: Peter is aware of the people around him. He can smile. He can frown. Um, When we've been gone for a couple of hours and we come into the room and he hears our voice, he will lift his, his left hand. He often does that. And he'll turn his head our direction, and this means, "Come here, give me a hug." Really, and you okay. lean in, and he'll he'll grab you, and he's he, that left arm is pretty strong, and he'll nearly break your neck, but <laughs> he's bringing you in, Wow. and he's not always alert, but when he is. He he can almost talk to you with his eyes. He just mm-hmm. stares right at you, and he's he's recently been undergoing some hyperbaric chamber treatments
1: that the Lord has graciously Lord's, provided.
2: And he he's he's not come to the next level um, cognitively, but he's more alert and he's more relaxed. And he's trying. He tries to communicate. He tries to say something. He can't but he is there and he expresses love and happiness. He can laugh, uh, Selah can dance for him and he <laughs> just thinks that's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, wow.
1: Doug puts his Cat Stevens music on <laughs> and I, do a little fun with it. And Pete just throws back his head and laughs. Yeah, when, really? Yeah, because it is rather comical when mom tries to dance.
2: <laughs> so he's um, he's made some little steps of progress along the way.
0: What would you say for any listeners that they are just recently, they they've realized they are now facing the prospect of being a long-term caregiver? What would you say to anyone who's listening like that?
2: Well, I would say you need the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to help you through this, not just to to help you carry this load, but this load may have been given to you to help you to see that your ultimate need is salvation in Christ. That your worst problem is not that you have a loved one who can't, do anything for himself. Your worst problem is that you're a sinner in need of the grace of God. And Jesus came and died in order that we could have that grace, in order that we could know God, in order that we could be reconciled to God. But then beyond that, he's, he promises that he'll never leave us and he will never forsake us. He will be your best friend through all of this. He won't just be your savior getting you to heaven, but he'll be your friend who, who walks with you through the, the darkest days that you've ever known. And they can become the sweetest days that you've ever known.
1: Yeah. To anyone facing becoming a long-term caregiver, like I think one of the biggest challenges is to feel isolated and like no one understands. That the those are some of the biggest challenges a caregiver faces. So to know that the Lord sees and walks with you is key. But we talk to parents in our situation often. We've rubbed shoulders with parents who have a child with brain injury. And often they can't do it because they don't have a church family mm-hmm. that helps. And I would say, you know, one of the best things you can do as a caregiver, especially in a long-term situation, is to unite yourself with a close and loving church family who will um, bear your burden with you as the scripture commands.
2: Yeah, don't go it alone. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
1: you can't go it alone.
2: And I'd also say spend a lot of time in the Word or as much time as you can, you may be really busy, but um, but this is this is where you're going to get the rock solid foundation that you need. Mm. You know uh, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. Don't worry about the future; just worry about what you're supposed to be doing right now.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Trust in the Lord and do do the next do thing. the next thing.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing upcoming with Peter's health, and how how can our listeners pray for you guys?
1: Really the ultimate prayer request is just that the Lord would continue to carry us and to take us along a day at a time because a lot of times caregiving situations are for an elderly family member and you know it's not going to last for a long time our our journey is such a marathon
0: yeah is there anything else you guys want to share before we wrap up
2: oh thank you for the opportunity to talk about it oh, we love yeah. to talk about this it's it's hard but we feel that it's our jo- responsibility and our joy to talk about how good God is, yeah. and how kind He is, yeah. how generous He's been toward us.
1: If Peter has to go through this suffering, we would like to see the Lord use it as much as possible. Yeah. So opportunities like this are a chance for God to use Peter in his unique ministry.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, thank you all so much. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing what God's doing in your lives. Thank you so much. Thanks
1: for the opportunity, Paul.
0: This year, Peter will turn 29 just a few weeks after the 11th anniversary of his accident. Now I wish I could tell you that just weeks after we recorded this interview, a miracle happened that one day Selah walked into the room and Peter looked straight at her and said, hi mom, but that hasn't happened, at least not yet. And maybe it never will, but we can hope and we should certainly pray that it does. But regardless, it doesn't change how Doug and Selah will continue to care for their son or the ways that Peter's life will continue to be a blessing to others. Doug put it so well when he said, God doesn't always do the things that we want him to, but we can always trust him. And I pray that we all take that to heart. To learn more about Doug, Selah, and Peter, you can join their Facebook group called Pray for Peter Helms. Selah has also written a book about their experience with many more details than what we could fit in our show today. Their book is called That Your Faith May Not Fail. And if you'd like to buy a copy, you can email Helms doug at gmail.com or if you have questions or would like to contact them for any other reason you can use that same email address again that's helms doug at gmail.com h-e-l-m-s-d-o-u-g at gmail.com we'll also be giving away an autographed copy of sila's book this week to enter our drawing simply visit our website compelledpodcast.com and look up this episode On that page, we'll include some behind the scenes photos and videos of Peter that you won't wanna miss, including several of his paintings and drawings, many of which won awards, videos of him playing some incredibly difficult songs at his senior piano recital, and photos of him today with his nephews and nieces. Again, you can find all of that at compelledpodcast.com. If you found today's episode especially compelling, then I'd encourage you to also listen to a story that we have from season 1 with David Gibbs, the attorney for Terry Schiavo. Terry was a young lady who also suffered a traumatic brain injury, but a judge ordered that she be removed from her feeding tube and starved to death. David fought desperately to keep her alive and brought her case all the way to the US Supreme Court. It is a stunning and vivid story and I would encourage all of you to listen. You can listen to that episode by looking up episode nine of Compelled. That story is called Battling Euthanasia with David Gibbs. Also, don't forget that you can get a limited edition sticker just for signing up to be a part of our referral program. You can also get cool perks like a coffee mug or a complete New Testament scripture journal set from Crossway by sharing our episodes with your friends. Get started by clicking the share button at the top of our website. Again, that's at compelledpodcast.com. This episode was produced by me and my wife, Sarah Hastings. Our editor is Zach Fowler. Our production intern is Ethan Adams. And our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Ficchino. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. One last thing before I go if you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th,